Welcome to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by InsideTexas.com. I'm Joe Cook. Welcome to Wednesday night live stream. We got Eric Naline, Justin Wells, and Drew Kelson along with us. Drew, glad to back you have in the fold. How you been these past couple of weeks? Man, I'm excited. It's um, It was good to take a couple weeks to just, I was doing a lot of things for work, but at the end of the day, uh, off season, there is no real off season. <laughs> you guys have been really busy over the last couple of weeks. So this has been a lot to keep up with, but also a lot to be excited about. So, uh, yeah, just just happy to be back in the fold. Good to see that uh, good old PBU back on our our screens again. Good to see Justin. You've been all over the uh, DFW Metroplex, all over East Texas these past couple of days. How have you been? I'm well. I'm well. This weather is fan freaking tastic. So I- I'm doing good. Beautiful sunny skies. Cool weather. No more hailstorm like we had on Sunday. I'm straight. And then Eric, you've been uh, kind of seeing a little bit of the the high school scene down in the Houston area too. Getting on the road a little bit more, heading out and seeing some recruiting stuff. Now that the the portal has finally calmed down, but hey, spring football is around the corner, so it's a little bit of best of both worlds for uh, for you as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I love recruiting. So it's it's good to get on the road, see these guys, see the young up and comers that we don't really know about yet. Uh, I'm going to infringe on Justin's territory tomorrow afternoon. going to go check somebody out. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to covering recruiting the rest of the cycle. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a lively one. There's going to be a lot of plot twists. Home of the Wolfpack, right? To go see uh, what, Zion Williams, correct? Yep. One of the big names in the 2025 defensive cycle, just the overall all cycle. we got a lot of topics. Of course, Chris Del Conte spoke a little bit about the move to the SEC. Uh, yesterday in his town hall. We'll go over a lot of different things from Del Conte's town hall, including eight-game schedule, nine-game schedule, some of the different things he talked about as far as that goes. Texas is finally going to make some football facility upgrades. Uh, we hope our uh, everybody on the inside Texas message boards who've been fervently waiting for some uh, facility upgrade updates is ready. And then, Eric, you got some notes on what's going on with Texas NIL. Thank you all for joining us. We appreciate you all watching this live stream. Make sure you like the video, subscribe to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. We appreciate all your support. We love doing this on Wednesday nights, and we love interacting with with you all. So get some questions in. We'll be glad to answer them over the course of about the next 60 minutes. So, guys, you all want to start with uh, some of the stuff from uh, Chris Del Conte's Inside or not inside Texas, but uh, kind of state of the program town hall yesterday. Grass, <laughs> grass. That that kind people of people asking about grass in the bubble. That's what yeah. people ask about year in and year out is grass, and when are they going to replace the bubble? We've got the renderings now. It looks pretty nice. We do have the renderings. That kind of ties in with the facility upgrades. We learned yesterday that. The upgrades, the construction on all of them, that starts in June. And if you're familiar with the UT campus, there's Dale K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium. Just south of it, there is the uh, brand new recruiting lounge, which was also touted a little bit yesterday. There's the rec center. And then there's, I think it's 20th Street. And then there's the old school of social work. That's going away. Uh, there were some protestations. Uh, during the course of uh, uh, Chris Del Conte's town hall, but 
that's finally going away. And, and Drew, you know, you were there at a time when the bubble was brand new. And I remember I got to talk to uh, Justin. You set me up with this. I talked with Chance Mock about it. I even talked a little bit with uh, some other tech, former Texas players. And the bubble was quite a thing back when it first came around. Like, wow, we can play indoors. Now in 2024, and it's been passed up and then some. So how big is it just to see that that facility is finally going to get a replacement as Texas starts moving into the SEC? It's about time. Um, uh, you know what's crazy about this stuff is when you first start out, you're, I mean, it's huge. I mean, it looks good. It, it's hard to imagine it looking good now, but it was a really big deal back then. So when I think back, it was just it was such a big deal that I think now, uh, as we look at recruiting, as we look at what's next, we're so far behind. And by the time I left, you were kind of over it. But then to come back 10 years later, 15 years later, and still see the same stuff there, it's time for something to be fresh. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, unlike NIL, I'm actually excited about this. Uh, I don't envy the facilities <laughs> that these guys get to play in and practice in. Um, that that part is long overdue. Um, I, I'll never get to, to to relive my life in a way where I get to to make some of the money they get to make. But uh, yeah, all all of that. I'm glad to see it going into the facilities too. Eric, I think uh, I, I've been there for pro day. I remember. I think it was uh, whoever moved the sticks is on on Twitter. I think he's an NFL Network guy, and I can't remember uh, what his real name is. But he kind of downgraded or denigrated the bubble a few years ago. Now we're finally going to be looking at a brand new facility. And I'll never forget, I went with you to a practice ahead of the uh, Houston or the Texas Bowl in 2017. Mm -hmm. And Tom Herman looked around and goes, yeah, this is pretty nice, isn't it? Yeah. And that was some of what he had like tried to help build. Right. And that's at U of H. And we were looking around at U of H's facility I think we've been to a few other facilities. I've walked by K-State's, you know, so on and so forth. It's been time for Texas, even with the limitations around, uh, you know, just being in a metropolitan area like the city of Austin to finally make the change. And it looks like they're about to do it at, at long last. Yeah, you know, it's an arms race. And, you know, if you want to uh, not keep up with the Joneses, but be the Joneses, you actually have to set the pace on stuff like that. It's, you know, I, I kind of downplay the importance to it personally as a 45 year old middle-aged man. Uh, but the recruits love that the bells and whistles. And, you know, it is kind of embarrassing because you go to, you, you can go to a number of high schools in the state that have better practice facilities, even indoor practice facilities than at the university of Texas. But as you said, you know, space is a consideration. There's only so much land uh, inside Austin that you can work with. It's not like a lot of these schools that are kind of out on the outskirts of these towns. Uh, it's a little bit harder to build there. There's a lot of uh, red tape to navigate. Uh, but, you know, it's finally going to get done, breaking down ground in in, uh, in June. I'll be excited to see it. There's going to be a lot of uh, excited recruits uh, that are going to see the plans in the coming weeks. And uh, in the spring, I'm sure those renderings are going to be made public. Uh, so we'll get a lot more insight on it and we'll get a good understanding of how the recruits uh, view the new buildings. I think there was even some some updates and uh, just to the renderings itself. But, Justin, one of the, the big updates and one that is already ready and something that we've heard about from recruits coming out of the January 20th junior day and even some earlier visits is the uh, just the overall recruiting lounge. And if you're looking at 
the the south end zone facility you see that scoreboard that's right behind me uh you yeah. you see a big um you know you see all the facilities but there are all there's also a recruiting lounge that they just started making use of at the junior day how much does that help just to have a centralized area for recruiting for interacting all the different things that Steve Sarkeesian likes showing off when he may have 100 he may have 50 he may have 10 kids they're visiting the program. I mean, it needs to be state of the art. Like Eric said, if you're going to be the Joneses, you got to act like them and you got to spin like them. So it's got to be current. It's got to be something hip. It's got to be something that, that that they talk about. A lot of the recruits mentioned that at junior, you know, after junior day talking about, and that was their first time they had been there. So they, they're seeing even more of an upgrade in what could be coming along with that. So it's really important. But honestly, when the first time I heard, when, when I heard CDC say lounge, a recruiting lounge. My first thought was, if LL Cool J isn't playing in that in that thing when they walk in, we're we're doing this whole thing wrong, because that that that's important. It needs to be like a lounge to me. Keep winning, and things will just become nicer and nicer. The biggest part is getting grass at DKR, getting rid of the bubble. You know, getting that whole thing, getting that whole thing taken care of. To me, that's the the biggest part. Drew, so um, I have a couple questions. One, just based on the bubble, what was it like when you when you first showed up and you first start getting to practice inside? Because remind, help me out if I'm wrong. When at Lamar, weren't y'all practicing in the outfield of the baseball stadium, and then you get to show up at Texas and you're able to practice, you know, on on artificial turf in the bubble? Like, how big is that for some recruits who? Maybe, you know, you could go to Carthage, you could go to Lake Travis, you could go to Dell Valley, even the, in the Austin area, be at an indoor facility. But there are some places that don't have that. So what's it like when you get to walk in there for the first time, at least back then? What's it like walking into a new facility? <laughs> well, what's funny is, so I, I spent my, my childhood growing up, I mean, I went to all the U of H football camps. I went to U of H basketball camps. So U of H had an indoor facility, they have an indoor track. Uh, and they used to practice at that facility and they had a, a football field that was retractable and they would practice inside. So I got to see U of H long before I got to Texas. I got to see U of H have those facilities. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. Our, our big deal at Lamar was for the playoffs. We got to practice at Rice. And the reason why we practice at Rice <clears throat> is because Rice had AstroTurf we could practice on because all we were used to practicing on was 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 grass. So it was a big deal. We got a chance to practice at Rice's Field because we had to play in the Astrodome or we played in one of these other schools. <clears throat> but showing up at Texas and seeing – practicing in that bubble, honestly, as a recruit, once you actually put on the orange, dude, you have the horns on your helmet, you'd go anywhere and practice. I mean, it, it was such a special privilege uh, to wear burn orange, to practice in it. It wasn't like we wore these crappy high school jerseys you practice in, but then only got to play in the burnt orange. You got to wear it day one. So as a recruit, you know, and your practice clothes, your shells, your, your full pads, you get to throw on some burnt orange, whether you're practicing in the bubble or on the field, uh, it felt great. <laughs> you know, uh, if that's what you're thinking about after you actually get there and throw in your pads, uh, you're probably focused on the wrong thing, but. Uh, I, I was I, I was excited about it no matter what, even though I had been somewhat exposed to it at U of H's facilities. But there's nothing like wearing that burnt orange. So there was a Letterman specific tidbit that Chris Del Conte talked about 
last night, and it was about how they're going to refurbish, redo, basically make a brand new Letterman's Lounge. And you know, of of, of the four people on this screen, I think you're the uh, the only guy who who's got a T ring as much as we all would uh, would like to have had one. So just from a perspective of a Letterman, how important is it? You know, maybe not to have the the fancy you know, anything as far as a lounge goes, but just to have a place where Letterman feel welcome to come back uh, to the facility. I, I think that's critical. I mean, we you come back for games and it's not just the Letterman now, you know, Letterman come back, they bring their wives, they bring their kids, they have their families. So if there was anything that, that just made it a hassle, it was more so tied to how much space we had, how much space did we have when we actually got a chance to come back. And so, you know, if it's a game in, in September and it's 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 95, 100 degrees out there, Letterman would much rather be inside hanging out and connecting with each other than than out there sweating their tails off on the on, on the east side of the stadium. So um, nothing wrong with that. But I'm excited about about that altogether. I think it's easier to get guys back when when you're winning and you have have a program that's going in the right direction. So uh, hopefully we can really get a lot of guys back and start reconnecting some some guys, hopefully from the '80s too. We, 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 it's, it's tough to find those guys from the '80s, <laughs> so so hopefully uh, they'll start rolling back in here and feel welcome as well. Our buddy Huff text, take care of the Letterman. They are the legacy of this program. We couldn't agree with that anymore. We can get on to a, a little bit of discussion of some of the other things, uh, but we have a question both from the Inside Texas message board and from our friend Brett Nelson. Thank you for the super chat. Eric, Justin, uh, I'll go in order with y'all. Who are Sark's top three Valentine's crushes for 2025? Um, Eric, I think they're, uh, the the big ones are going to be big boys, large humans, but who are some of the guys that uh, you think Sark is after most in the 2025 class? Ah, come on. Offensive guys never change their stripes. He's thinking quarterback who's who already has committed and DeCorian Moore who, who helps make his offense go. <clears throat> yeah, you can't Sharks, – Sark's not going to change who he is. You you can see the emphasis even going to the portal. Oh, give me a couple wide receivers. Wait, two receivers? Now let me get three receivers. Um, so he's he's greedy on that. So I would go K.J. Lacey, DeCorian Moore, and then a big guy, Michael Fasusi, because you got to keep uh, your skilled players uh, uh, free to roam and, and make plays. So Michael Fasusi has the left tackle. That's three on offense. Justin, you want three on defense? Yeah, even though I don't think defensive players are getting Valentines from Sark. Um, yeah, we can do that. Uh, let's let's start on the defensive interior. Give me some Zion Williams. Let's go at linebacker. You know, shoot me up some Riley Pettijohn, linebacker out of McKinney. Let's go safety. Let's go. I mean, Fahim Delane out of Washington or or Jonte Gilbert out of out of Georgia. Listen, Texas is going big in 2025. I think they're going to continue to play the long game. They're going to cherry pick some of these out-of-state guys. They're going to get some of them. They'll lose more than they win, but they're going to get some of those guys. So if you'll give me Zion and, and Petty John and, and any and either or of Delane and Gilbert, that will be uh, – I'll, I'll give you a, a B-mine heart. Can't I think I would go with Dorian Bruin there with uh, L'Oreal playing a, a little bit of a role there with Dorian's mom. They're, they've got a – they've hit it off pretty well. But obviously, got to go with Zion and Pettijohn. I think stand out pretty obviously. So there's five, maybe six or seven for you too. Got another good question, and thank you, Brett, for the the question. We'll get to another one of yours in a second. Just curious from Roaster: Is there always that possibility that CDC could get poached? I'm assuming yes, but unlikely. 
Eric, you just signed a, a contract extension, I think, all the way through 2030, not too long ago. And when you see him and, and interact with him, he doesn't seem like he's intent on going anywhere. And there have been openings to to where he could kind of fit in. Hadn't taken him. He's been at Texas and helped fundraise for things like this uh, South End Zone and and also the practice facility. And it seems like he's intent on sticking around. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see him going anywhere while he's at the height of his career. While he's, you know, he's in the zone right now. He's got Texas going to the SEC. He's got they're awash in cash to do anything they want with facilities. Um, you know, he's got the head coach in place in football, which that that helps you sleep a lot better at night. So, you know, maybe, maybe one day he goes to a smaller school when he's kind of winding down or something. But I think while he's in his prime, I don't really like. Where would he go? There's only going to be. There's only two relevant conferences, and then so you, you, I can't believe that an SEC school would poach him. Um, and then why would he go leave for the Big Ten? So yeah, I don't see that happening. But you never, you never say never. I, I think if he was going to go to SEC, he would have done it, and and that's the only other place I could maybe see him thinking about. He didn't do it. I think that says a lot. And that was, and that was well, never. Only that at Texas, I don't think there's a higher ground in this in this regime. I really don't. I think Texas yeah. is the spot. Aside from Steve Patterson's disastrous tenure and uh, Mike Perrin doing a great job of caretaking, like the athletic director at Texas has, has been a lifer, whether it being whether it's Daryl K. Royal, whether it's the Lost Odds. After that, like these are yeah. destination destination positions. There you go. So I don't know if he's going to go anywhere. Justin, got a question for for you and uh, Eric. You can chime in as well. With Brandon Harris's new role, what does his day-to-day generally look like? That's a loaded question, <laughs> but a good one, Brett, and we appreciate it. Uh, I'll start off, and if Eric wants to chime in a little bit, he can. Day-to-day, uh, I would guess he gets up about 4 a.m., uh, get, gets, to, gets to the facilities about 4.30 Gets a good workout in. You got to work out early to get your mind right, get your get, get your body right. And he calls Sark probably about six or six thirty every day and asks him what we're going to do today, who we're going to get. And so you know, a day to day thing can be anything in the recruiting season, like right now with a dead period. It's probably connecting with kids and coaches and parents on a regular basis because there are no visitors and they can't you know go see those guys. And so right now it's probably just maintaining the communication funneling that out to, to the guys that help them out on that recruiting staff. Uh, but, but it, it, a day to day could change with the season. Once, once the uh, you know, spring ball rolls around, he's going to have coaches that are going to want to come through, which that'll be Jamal Finner. He'll, he'll take on a lot of that in his relations role. But I, I think for, for, for Harris, it's going to be wearing a lot of hats. It's going to be doing a lot of what, what Billy Glasscock was doing essentially. And that's assisting Sark on day to day operations at the recruiting level. And uh, make sure you get up early, Brandon, because Texas is a great job. Eric, with with the way that general manager oversees the whole roster, not just things like how many scholarships are allotted to certain positions in high school, but now how many scholarships are allotted to maybe the portal, just how much of a shift is this in, in the whole college athletics landscape and for Brandon Harris to be taking on that role? as opposed to what he was doing with uh, director of player personnel responsibilities. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have, a, he's got a lot of oversight for him. You know, he's not the one strictly calling the shots. There's a lot of people in those meetings and they're all kind of brainstorming together. Um, so it's, it's a team effort, you know, especially with Sark. They know the, they know the needs, they know the needs going into the spring. They still have some uh, 
some needs to address a defensive tackle. Uh, you know, I'm sure they're weighing any options that they've uh, heard through the grapevine of guys that might still go in. Uh, obviously, there's still talk about Michigan players uh, heading into the portal. Uh, they'll have scouted a lot of those guys to make sure in advance if they hit. That way they can jump on them quick if, if they are in there. Uh, but there's a lot of investigative work uh, in, in, in his job. Uh, he should be having an ear to the street on who's unhappy in his own locker room. It's not, not that there's a lot of it at Texas, but there's always you get that many people. There's always a little bit of unrest, especially with that much competition. They know, And they know they have to make more room. There has to be more room heading into next year. Uh, even if they don't add anybody, they have to, I think, uh, make room with uh, four people have to depart. Uh, so there's going to be some some tough calls about, who, hey, who gets massaged out if it comes to that, if there aren't four guys that just want to leave on their own accord. Uh, so there's a there's a lot going on with roster management. We write about it all day long. So it's it's a year long thing. I can write about it. So bit, pretty much what I'm writing about is the same things that they're having to solve and figure out how many players are they going to take at each position in the class. Uh, how many how many do they even want to carry? First of all, they've got a template made at each position of what they have in an ideal world. How many players they'd have at each position? So they're going to measure how far they're off, where they're on. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on with roster management. It's not it's not rocket science though. It's it's not the w- toughest thing in the world. The tough part is getting the right players to fill the spots. And, of course, Sark has always talked about how he used to say, I'm the general manager. Well, now he's passed a little bit of those responsibilities on, but he's going to have a big-time influence on that. Huff text, thank you for the super chat. Got to get a hit one of his questions in here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when the north end zone and bubble were completed, DeLoss and company got content. CDC doesn't seem like the content type. Thinking about the bubble, you know, Drew, that's a little bit closer to your era, north end zone. I remember going to that Texas versus Ohio State game in Austin, and the north end yeah. zone was being built. At that time, I think the the, the dish was being redone. Um, obviously, we now have the Moody Center, and that was a lot of influence from Del Conte. I think the thing that – one and we can touch on this a little bit – uh, Chris Del Conte understands that with the SEC comes a little bit more attention and that is solved with having a hundred thousand seat stadium and having uh, premium areas to, to help the program. It's solved with the Moody center. I think of revenue sports, the next big move is going to be finding ways to add seats to dish Falk field. And they tried to do that a little bit with uh, seats in left center field uh, called the Yeti yard. They're adding that. Uh, one of the interesting things that that Crystal Conte talked about last night was adding a mini Moody for the volleyball team because Gregory Gym, where they play, is owned by UT Rec Sports, not the athletic department. And man, if there's a program on campus aside from uh, Eddie Reese's swimming and diving program that deserves its own really nice and, and uh, you know high end state of the art facilities, it might be them. But um, Eric, as far as you know, getting content, Crystal Conte is a little bit, uh, I don't want to say hamstrung, but he's limited by the city of Austin and being in a metropolitan area. And at this point, the only big project he has left, you know, you look at baseball facility and uh, yeah. stadium is nice. <clears throat> Softball, McCombs Field could probably be uh, updated. New player facility, uh, volleyball, rowing, basketball, all is set track. They've got one of the best. The, the only thing that's missing is an indoor track. CDC doesn't seem like the content type. And it also seems like the new indoor facility is kind of feeding into getting rid of that content and getting the best for Texas. 
you know, my dad was a builder and he always looked around no matter where we were to see how many cranes were out and moving. Uh, and, you know, that that is a sign of growth. You should always have cranes moving and operating. Uh, you know, that that's a big campus. Well, there's always projects to do. Uh, but I, it's not again, this is so much of this is teamwork. We, every, too often we give one guy the credit. There's a lot that goes on with the uh, athletic director not being hamstrung, having a good president, uh, having good uh, chairman of the Board of Regents. Those guys all work together. Uh, you know, an athletic director can't just work unilaterally and start getting stuff done. He has to have the support financial. Uh, he has to have the the same vision as the people that are in charge. And I think that's probably, you know, part of what happened with uh, Delos is I'm not sure it was just him that, that you know, became uh, uh, content. What's the word I'm looking for here? I wish I was writing right now. But uh, it, so uh, uh, him and Powers, I think, probably had the same issue at the same time. Uh, even Mac Brown, you know, I think Mac Brown lost his hunger. So I think that was part of the whole power dynamic. Uh, lost a lot of their hunger, I think. Uh, here you have three guys that are very motivated to be the best. Uh, they're doing everything they can to improve. I mean, obviously going to the SEC is a sign of how hungry they are. Uh, so it's, it's all teamwork again. It's just like the GM uh, role is uh, with, with Sark. Same with the athletic director. Um, Del Conte is the tip of the spear, but, you know, there's a lot of wood behind it too. HuffTex, appreciate the question. And for all the help you uh, give us over at Inside Texas, Drew. Do you want to be the athletic director? <laughs> I, I'd to love pick. to work alongside the athletic director, but that that that's a that's a that's a job, man. Um, I, I'll say this regarding CDC: I, I do think the move to the SEC changes the standard for everybody. Um, I think Paul made a great point. Um, I think on the live stream on Monday, it's just the standards different. Texas was the standard for the Big Twelve, so everyone was fighting to get to Texas, and. Mm -hmm. You only do what your competition. I mean, you look around the room; it's okay. This is the standard. We're going to be off. We're going to be all right in this world. Um, I do think, as things have trended over the years, we've had to make a change or make some updates, and it's just kind of drug along because we haven't had the alignment at the top. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, look at the room. Uh, Texas is—it's—it's it's pageantry now. It's not just football. It's—it's it's football. It's the pageantry. It's the recruiting. It's the presence. It's the impact when people come to visit you, when they travel to your city. It means something. Um, so Austin and the, the football program in and of itself, um, and the, the amount of attention that we're going to get in Austin now—that um, goes a long way. And and a lot of we're going to have a lot of new faces showing up um, at Bergstrom Airport. So um, it starts there. And, and, and it goes right into the stadium, and we take pride in that. And, and CDC, this environment going into the SEC, uh, who we're going to be hosting this year and years moving forward, I mean, how could you not get excited? But also, how could you not step up and want to live up to that? So here we are. Drew, I got another one for you from John. And I don't know if y'all will recognize that little picture, but I get it. So good picture, John. Do y'all think Texas is going to start a trend in programs? We'll start going back to grass. What do we think of the Longhorns going back to grass? How many programs still have grass? Uh, as a player, I know there's a difference between bad artificial turf and good artificial turf, but between natural grass and good artificial turf, what's your preference and uh, what do you think about Texas eventually getting back to a natural surface? Listen, I, I grew up playing in the – just imagine what grass is like growing up in, in southeast Houston, south Houston, even though playing at Lamar. I mean, I, I mean, the grass I played on was not the best quality grass, and I still think grass is better. 
Um, it was a luxury sometimes to play on turf and then later AstroTurf, which is well, first it was AstroTurf, right? But then we got the synthetic field turf. turf. <laughs> the field turf was when and you they had chopped nice up four pellets. million tires and put it underneath the grass. <laughs> I played on literal plastic when I was playing, so uh, but to the standard that Texas will have its grass and all of the programs that they play in will have its grass. There's nothing better than playing on premium grass that's well taken care of, manicured and everything else. Um, it, it's a luxury to have great grass to play on. So um, I think those programs who can manage it uh, financially and, and manage it to, to the standard it needs to be managed, uh, they should take advantage of it. Hopefully uh, that, that trend can continue. I'm sure it's a maintenance it cost um, and, and a headache and everything else, but there's nothing like playing on natural grass. So hopefully yeah, that's something I looked it up. I looked it up. 94 uh, FBS teams play on artificial surfaces, 39 on grass. So if Texas can somehow be the 40th, that would be uh, pretty fitting for the 40 acres. So I had to look it up because I was wondering myself. I'm trying to think just from Texas 2023 schedule, Alabama has grass, TCU has grass, Iowa State has grass, the Cotton Bowl has grass, and then trying to think around everywhere else – Tech doesn't they they but but they played them at home like there's a there's still a smattering of schools in the Big Twelve that has yeah. grass and then also thinking to the SEC just in state Texas A&M has grass Oklahoma has grass Arkansas does Missouri has turf LSU has grass Bama has easier grass. to grow in the southeast Joe this is, this is a really geographical thing this is some riveting stuff here man who yeah, has man. Grass the Big Ten them? you know how much grass they have none. Because everything you can't grow it up there when it snows, right. so you got to have turf. I think it's a, a regional thing. Let's really just hey. dive into this sucker because I can't remember some time reading grass in the same sentence more than this one right here. Say, yeah. hey, I I remember thinking about some grass. My first memories of DKR include natural grass, no track, but still the west side upper deck. So I think I that dates myself. I think that dates myself to around either 97 or 98. John, thank you for the question. We'll jump into one more question that we got from the Inside Texas message board from our good friend, epistemologist. I will go ahead and throw that on the screen in just a second if I can get it going. There we go. Uh, of the 24 recruits in this year's early portal class, whom do you think will have the most significant impact on the season? And who will have the largest impact during his career? Justin, I'll give you first digs at this one. Who you got for uh, most significant impact on the 2024 season and most during their career from the portal in the high school group? Colin Simmons. Boom. Let's go quick fire. Eric and, you get, and Drew, you get five seconds. Well, the portal, class is, gonna, the, the portal class is going to be Isaiah Bond for this year. Oh, Pretty much know that for sure. I mean, look, I mean, if he's if he's healthy, it's going to be him. He's yeah. taking Worthy's spot. He's going to get Worthy's targets. He's got Worthy's speed almost. He's a more nuanced receiver than Worthy. There's not a lot of projection here. We know what, he, what, what type of player he is. So I think Isaiah Bond is going to have the most impact of for 2024. Drew, who you got? Well, well there you go. You just grabbed my two guys on both sides of the ball. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, the, the guy I was thinking about Bond first. Just we, we I mean, that that's when you're backfilling that many spots. The ball has to go around. Uh, he may not be the only one. Uh, we'll, we'll see who else can step up, uh, whether, whether it be Silas, 
Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it steps up. But yeah, Isaiah Bond was the first person that came to mind for me just because the ball has to go somewhere and we already saw what he can do with it at a high level. I got a player for you, Joe. Insert Michigan defensive lineman name. That's going to be my impact guy for 2024. Well, we'll see what happens with that. They still have to hit the, the spring portal. There, There's going to be battles in the spring portal, especially when schools like, I guess, Washington and, of course, Alabama. And uh, I don't know, maybe USC. The SEC is going, going to go crazy for those guys because there's no more SEC to SEC transfer at this point in the year. So it's going to be right. it's going to be bedlam. That that one's going to be nuts. Um, Twenty four recruit. I'll just grab someone y'all didn't. Ryan Wingo. I just think that his combination of size and speed is is something that's going to translate. Uh, there are a lot of athletes who catch passes, and then there are wide receivers. And I think that uh, Ryan Wingo is a wide receiver, but he's an extremely athletic one, um, and he's going to set himself up uh, really well for for the rest of his career. I think he may end up having. Maybe not an impact this season. He may be in that top four. We know Sarkeesian likes a, a top three as it goes to receiver. Uh, but I think he'll do really well over the course of his career. Kind of related to the, the portal question from Jones L. Trey Moore is being underrated due to him coming from UTSA. Texas needs him to be a beast this year. Eric, our, our, uh, our co colleague Ian Boyd touched on him and uh, what Trey Moore may be able to provide, whether it be Buck, whether it be Sam. But uh, Trey Moore is coming to Texas to play portal players yeah. who are looking for a step up. Don't look for a spot on the bench. They look for playing time. And, uh, he's definitely got that at, at Texas coming up from the American athletic conference. Yeah. And maybe he's being underrated a little bit. I think a lot of that has to do more with, there's just a lot more edge options at Texas than there are, you know, wide receiver options, you know, Matthew Golden and Isaiah Bond are going to catch a lot of balls next year. It's pretty much guaranteed with more. He could find himself in a timeshare. He could find himself playing Sam or Buck. Uh, if he's at Buck, there's going to be times they're going to have to get Colin Simmons on the field. Uh, if Ethan Burke doesn't move, Ethan Burke's going to be out there a lot, especially against teams that like to run the ball. So Texas just has a lot more options at edge. Uh, I think everybody's excited about Trey Moore. He's, uh, he's already earning a lot of uh, uh, a good reputation for for working hard. Uh, so I, I'm excited about him. And that that was a huge that to me that was a big portal get because that tell, that tells you they're they're leaving nothing to chance. They could have gone and said, hey, we like what we have, but now we like it even more with uh, with the addition of Trey Moore. Drew, I guess kind of trying to think about the the mentality of coming from, you know, it's still FBS, but it's group of five and a fledgling American Athletic Conference program to Texas. What do you think is kind of going through Trey Moore's mind now as he's getting accustomed after being a very great player in his own right at the FBS level? What do you think is going through his mind as he's trying to get accustomed to the way of doing things at Texas and playing against some some of the best high school and, or excuse me, some of the best college players in the country. I, I know you didn't mean to say it that way, Joe, but like I said, the best high school players, uh, Trey Moore has to prove and is out to prove that he can not only dominate where he was, but he's, he can do it at Texas. Uh, what he's performed in the past, it can translate. So uh, that that's a huge thing. And for all these guys, if you're a player at Texas and you're getting snaps, you're thinking paychecks, you're thinking resume, you're thinking what's next. And so um, while you can stand out at UTSA, you can stand out at a lot of places. He had a lot of choices he could have gone to. Um, when you make a decision to come to Texas, you're making a decision for the exposure. You're making a, a decision for the development. 
um, you're making a decision that's going to prove to yourself and others, like, where do you stand? So um, that that's a challenge he, he's willing to take on, but also one he's going to have to compete for snaps with. And so he just has to shine while he's on the field. That's all it takes. Uh, there's plenty of teams that rotate guys and guys are productive. As long as he shine, shines when he gets his opportunities, um, everybody's going to eat if a DN eats. Hey, <laughs> we just need DNs to start eating. Hey, they beat out Nick Saban for him. Nick Saban wanted him before Nick Saban yeah. knew he was going to retire. That's a that's a very yeah. good sign. And Nick Saban said he was only going to be a package player at Texas. So that tells you that, um, you know, there's there are some good options at Texas. Yeah. Negative recruiting Texas from Nick Saban. We've never probably heard with that, probably with that painting in the background right behind him, that painting from the 2009 game. I hate that. Trent game. Richardson. Hey, I, I have seen that now that there are recruits kind of cycling through Kalen DeBoer's office. That thing's gone. Oh, the, thank God. You'll, thing see, you'll see that picture and Mark Ingram running over. Uh, it's, a big, it's a big portrait of Nick Saban looking like Jesus now. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, uh, so what you're saying I, is, I've noticed Kalen is praying to it like once a day or something. I don't know. Maybe it's speaking a of the SEC, Chris Delgante talked a little bit on uh, on Tuesday night about uh, the Longhorns' move to the SEC. Um, it it basically just sounds like a celebration, you know, Eric. They did a lot of really hard work. Uh, around this time last year, trying to make sure all the details were, were fine-tuned and that all parties involved, whether they were Texas, Oklahoma, the SEC, and the Big 12, and television partners were all happy with uh, the, the end result. Um, I think about uh, it was the first NCAA tournament game when Texas was playing Cornell. Yeah, Cornell, when it was uh, announced that they were making that move early, and now in a few months – Texas is going to be making that move. They'll finally be getting there. What were some of the the takeaways you had from uh, Chris Del Conte just talking up the move to the SEC uh, that'll be here in just over six months? Oh, I mean, that party sounds fun. What do they say, June 30th or June 31st? I, I, you know, every time I hear party, my ears pick up. So, um, yeah, Greg Sankey's coming to town. I wonder how many times Greg Sankey had been in Austin under the cover of darkness that nobody knew while they were uh, kind of negotiating these things and, and having these long discussions. So, yeah, you know, it's time for them to celebrate. And, uh, you know, kind of I think it's probably a dual celebration going into the SEC, but also departing the Big 12. Um, Texas is here. Is there, uh, I, I'm still not sure if I really like that slogan that they came up. What, what is it? Texas is here. Something like that. It, it. I like the football teams one that's just obsessed. That kind of plays off of Steve Sarkeesian's uh, yeah. signing day press conference where he says he's obsessed with championships. They've already put it on T-shirts, so maybe there was a little bit of uh, planning behind that. And, you know, I like a lot of the guys, and uh, I like there's a lot of great people uh, in the marketing department at the University of Texas. But, hey, you know what else is good marketing, though, Justin? Just the letters S. E-C, and that's what they were really selling, not just for football, primarily for football, but for all the different sports that they're going to have heading into the 2024 athletic campaign. Joe, bigger than that, I got bigger letters than SEC. InsideTexas.com. That, that's where it starts. Get it. Come see us. We have a deal right now for a month. It's only a dollar. Guys, come hang out with us. Let us earn your business. It's a great community, and it's a wonderful time. We get to talk about a town hall meeting from Chris Del Conte. Nothing sells SEC bigger. We know it's big in recruiting. 
We know it has a residual effect, and we know with 11 guys invited to the to the NFL Combine in April in Indianapolis for Texas, that's a great sign going into the SEC, getting guys ready. And so if you're going to say the best letters you know are SEC, I, I, I got to disagree. The best letters are I-T. That's where it starts, and that's where it finishes. Next. John's Next. with you there. Drew, from, from someone who kind of grew up in a time where the Big 12 had the best of two conferences, essentially, in you know, Nebraska and, and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State from the Big 8, and then you get Texas, Texas A&M, uh, and then you throw in Tech and, and Baylor as well. Just from someone who played with a Big 12 patch on their jersey and who won a national championship and won a Big 12 conference title, what are your thoughts on just seeing the fact that that SEC move is right on the horizon? You know, it's – I didn't really – I remember as a player, the SEC – I mean, it wasn't until after I finished where I, I feel like it started to bloom and blossom. I, right. I do know um, – I mean, Nebraska – I mean, Colorado even years in the 90s were, were there. Um, as far as SEC – that I had attachment to or familiarity with it was, it was Tennessee um, just of winning teams prior to me while I was recruiting Tennessee and LSU were the two. Um, it was just definitely more balanced throughout the country, but as far as a conference pride, the SEC is the only conference that ever had pride in the conference. Um, the big 12 was just, it was a hodgepodge of other things and, and everyone kind of held their own. As long as you had your rivalries and you had your own brand and your own team you were proud of, that's all that really mattered to you. So we're going into a different environment. Uh, you know, you have several friends in the SEC and they're like, oh, you know, what about your conference? They're like, oh, the Big 12 versus the SEC is like, I don't give a damn about the Big 12. I only care about Texas. So I think from a cultural conference perspective, uh, we're entering into a new environment where it really hasn't, the conference never has really mattered to us. Um, so while I think we'll be proud about the competition and and how the competition forces us, uh, enables us, inspires us to raise the level of, of 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 just pride we have in our program and the way that we show up on the field and off the field, um, we're still Texas, uh, and we've always still been Texas, Big Twelve, SEC, whatever the case may be. Uh, but there's no doubt we're we're proud of this move. We're excited about this move. And um, everything that it's going to that's going to come with it. But they're not trying to be friends, though. They're they're trying to be good business partners, but they're not trying to be friends. The the guys that are in charge are very competitive. They're the ones that are, want it to be a, a nine game conference schedule rather than an eight game conference schedule. They're the ones that wanted to go to the SEC to to compete and bring out the best in the school. So it's not you know the only time that Texas fans should ever chant SEC is in Kyle Field next year. If there's ten thousand UT fans in there and they're up up with a minute or two late, that chant should break out just for the fun of it. Uh, but other than that, Texas is going to win the SEC, not just be a part of the SEC. You know, Drew reminds me, you remind me of James Brown when he said, I don't care about the Southwest Conference. It was the same example, the same same scenario. He, he did, They didn't care. That's where they were forever. I think Texas, how long were they in that conference, Joe? 80-something years, it feels like. Something it like was, that. That was a long time. But, you know, it, it, it's all about the brand. And, and like Eric said, this is a business move. And college football is a business. And also, Drew, remember, you were in college at a time when an undefeated SEC team did not make the title game. Could you yes. imagine that happening in 2024? 
when oh, Chiz, when, when, Chiz, when Chiz came to Texas, when Chiz came to Texas, he showed yeah. up at our meeting. He's like, the reason why I came to Texas, because at Auburn, we went 13 and 0. <laughs> and we didn't get our right to play in the national championship game. I know if Texas ever goes undefeated, I will never have to face that again. I want to go to a place where I never have to experience that again. You know, Tuberville should have politicked better since that's kind of up his alley. I'm shocked that he wasn't more of a politician. Not, I guess not he had a dream of coaching. Well, that that was a year after we played in our first Rose Bowl. Chiz came that year after because, oh, yeah, yeah. At a minimum, at a minimum, Mac politic to get us into the Rose Bowl. Oh, and, Aaron Rodgers still gripes and bitches about that. Still, and then he got still. his ass handed to him by Texas Tech in the Holiday Bowl. And so he couldn't yeah. say a word. Poor Aaron yeah. Rodgers. Before we go into a discussion about eight and nine uh, game SEC slate, I have a good Tuberville tidbit. I got a friend who works on Capitol Hill. He doesn't want to be called senator. (laughs) He he wants to still be called coach, which is still pretty funny to me. I'm not Uh, surprised. I'm not surprised either. But speaking of the SEC, speaking of politicking, there's been a lot of politicking over the past few weeks, months, years about whether the SEC is finally going to move to a nine-game schedule. Um, And that was a conversation that was going on before Texas even joined up. And Chris Del Conte said last night that he anticipates, of course, this upcoming 2024 season will be eight games. He thinks the next season in 2025 will be eight games as well. And then kind of what sounds like an as-expected move, whenever you see those words pop up, nine games will be – the norm after that. Justin, when you think of nine SEC games, something the Big 12 has done ever since, I think, 2011, when there was one true champion, something that's gone on for a a long time. What do you think about the SEC finally making that move and what it means for Texas just looking at their schedule? To me, it makes sense. You expand, change up the schedule a little bit. You got more guys to pick from now in a bigger conference. So naturally I feel like that, that that's a plus there. How it affects Texas is Texas fans are going to get to see the SEC. They're going to get to see the entire conference at some stage. I think A&M has still only played Georgia once in the last 12 years. So I, I know they're going to have to rearrange the schedule somehow, but it means Texas is going to get to experience the road games at each one of these places. They're not have to wait too long and like I said, they're, they're, it's a bigger conference now. You need to go to nine games and eliminate that crappy late November cupcake game that the SEC loves to play. Be like Texas. Get you three really good non-conference. Get you a regular to open up. Get you a tough one in week two. And get you get you battle-tested in week three You know, going into conference play. Uh, nine games was always going to happen. The conference is bigger. It was just – I think it's natural. Drew, whether you like the four-game playoff or you're into the 12-game playoff, I think that Texas is trying to get the best of both worlds in that no matter what happens between eight or nine games, they are still going to schedule people like Ohio State, like Michigan, of course, this this, uh, upcoming September. And now it's almost to an advantage because with the era of the 12-team playoff, you can lose one you might be able to lose two and you're still not costing yourself a spot in the, the postseason of uh, FBS football. From the standpoint of Texas having great 
games throughout the year. I just want to watch good football. So as from, that, that's what I want. So anything that gives me more good quality games to go to, to watch, to enjoy, I'm all for it. Um, I have no problem with eight or nine games. The thing that that frustrates me is I just I, for me, the importance of the regular season doesn't lose its weight. But when you have a 12 team playoff, along with two overwhelmingly powerful conferences, it just makes you wonder, like, what's the incentive of winning the championship in those those those, those conferences? Um, not to say you wouldn't want to win the championship, but uh, you win that championship. And the third or fourth or sometimes even fifth place team may have a shot to make it into the playoff and face you. Um, it's just I don't I don't know. Uh, I, I've I, I'm not a fan of expansion to twelve. It is what it is. Um, I love the sport. I, I want to see the sport healthy. Um, I think Texas is going to be fine no matter what. So I'll be fine no matter what. But I, I you know this, this structure right now is it's not great, and I don't think going to sixteen or fourteen is going to make it any better. Um, but as long as Texas has a full slate of great games, it'll be great for TV. It'll be great for us. And uh, at the end of the day, that, that's all I ultimately care about. So, Eric, as far as these games go, four-team playoff, like I said, you lose one, you lose to Michigan, you could get knocked out of the whole thing in week two. But now, now you get not only the name brands to travel to, the name brands to come to you, but you still give yourself through your conference slate the opportunity, if it's eight or if it's nine, to still put a good product on the field and have a chance to make yourself one of the the practically it's got to be top eleven for a team like Texas, considering the G five plays. But now you you kind of get the best of both worlds with name brands and also name brands of the SEC always at your disposal. Yeah, it should be a nine-game schedule, I think. But I'm, I'm with Drew. I'm all about the entertainment value of it. That's why we watch. You know, it's it's fun to see them whip up on teams just because we haven't seen them do it in so long. Uh, but there was a time, there were a lot of games during the Mac Brown era that were just, and Drew was part of them, that were just flat-out boring. And, that you know, that's fine. They should be boring. They're playing poor teams. Uh, but I want to see good football. I want to go to tough locations. I want to go, yeah. you know, where the, the rabid, there's a rabid fan base. I want it to be hard. It should be hard. And that makes it more rewarding when you do win. Um, so, yeah, I think especially with uh, – with the 12 team playoff, it should definitely be a nine game schedule. And that's what they're working for. Texas is pushing hard for a nine game schedule. And, and you know, the bottom line, it's, you know, it's, it's a business. It's going to make more money because that, that ninth game is going to be a lot more compelling than that, you know, directional school they're playing in November. And remember, the, the Longhorns are always going to have that game in Dallas. Uh, nobody wants to move it. Not anybody on the OU side, not anybody on the Texas side. So a nine game schedule kind of works to Texas benefit in that they get four home games basically no matter what. If you operate from the the Kirby Smart way of thinking, and I'm sure it's a Steve Sarkeesian way of thinking as well, an extra home game is an extra opportunity to recruit and an extra opportunity to try and and, and add to your class. Whereas if you're Texas and you got eight uh, conference games, you could get four at home and then one in Dallas, three on the road, or you could get three at home uh, and then one in Dallas and four on the road. It, it, it could vary per it's year. An extra, so I think it's, it's a chance to sell beer too. I mean, that gate, yeah. that gate is huge for the school. You know, that's, Another home that, game? Ching, yeah. ching, that's money. Yeah. You need that game. And you're right. They do, they do uh, relinquish that one potential home game with the, with the neutral site game. So yeah, they're trying to get that back. They're smart. They know what they're doing. They want to be competitive and make money at the same time. It's a win-win to go to nine games for Texas. 
Another Scott opportunity Page. to watch Nelly at Austin <laughs> City Limits. I mean, or, or, or Ludacris. No, I mean, no. If Paul Wall is not there at Bevo Boulevard this year, I'm going to be super pissed. Hey, I still need to get my hands on the uh, early 2000s pregame mix, the instrumental stuff that had like Break Them Off and uh, other songs like that. So, Drew, I'm going to have to get with you on that one to get that pregame mix because Young yeah. Joe would get there about two hours before, and those were some of the jams that were going on. Got one question, another great question in the chat from Jones L. Other than a massive defensive tackle, what weaknesses do you see on this team? There's depth at every other position in Jones L. You've got UT winning it all this year. We've kind of talked about just replacing uh, Byron Murphy and Devondre Sweat being a challenge just because, hey, those are two first-rounders or two top 50 picks at the worst, leaving your roster and a little bit of light recruiting backing them up, not just size-wise, but just general numbers-wise. Uh, but, Eric, is there any other position you can kind of think of that looking at it on February 14th, 2024, that's like, okay, we got to think about this spot a little bit more and maybe think about it uh, further in that April portal or maybe just try to develop some more guys? You know, not really a position that that worries me too much. Some might say middle linebacker with losing Jalen Ford. Some might say corner with, uh, you know, the last uh, time we saw them struggling against a very good uh, NFL passing attack. Um, I think the big challenge is going to be having the right identity on on defense, make sure all the pieces work together. They're, they 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 have the the front married to the back. Uh, they've got the right coverages. They're they're able to get a pass rush. They're able to play complementary on defense. I think is the biggest challenge, and that's gonna that's gonna fall on the coaches as much as it's gonna fall on the individual talent at these positions. I'm not too worried. I think the the main the main weakness on the team is as as Jones says is. Uh, you know, losing that run stopper, they're going to have to play things differently if they want to if they want to consistently stop the run. They're going to have to rob from the from the back end a little bit more. So they, they're going to have to make all the pieces work, and that's what spring and August is for. And, and you know, we'll be covering all that very closely. I don't view tight end as a as a weakness, but I do view it as a little bit of a uh, uh, maybe a little bit of an unknown because Jatavian Sanders, yeah, he's a great receiver, but he shored up his blocking ability over the course of the 2022 and in 2023 season we kind of have an idea of what Gunnar helm can provide we saw a little bit of uh what malik ogbo can do as the the heavy tight end but we know that they're gonna ask amari nyblack to do a lot of the same things that jatavian sanders did i have faith that he can do it i just like to see him do it a little bit more especially now that he's gonna have opportunities to maybe get some underneath stuff and have to block off of that or block to create those opportunities for him so that that i guess on offense that's a big one because i have faith justin you can chime in on this i have faith in all those 2022 and 2023 offensive linemen even if it is their first year even if it is like you know them rising into the starting lineup making an impact is other than defensive tackle are you kind of on eric's page with figuring out the secondary or is there another spot that you're thinking no, of? No, the secondary is loaded. <laughs> the secondary is, is, is ridiculous. I didn't ridiculous. mean the secondary from a talent standpoint. I mean a coaching standpoint, making sure yeah. you have the right coverage is matched to the right. front. I'm not worried about the secondary at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, I know it sounds silly. Who's going to punt? Like I start thinking about special teams because th that's how good this roster is. I feel like it's, I feel like it's, it's solid. Tied in is a good question, Joe. I think that the, the uh, an unknown is a good way to put that. But with Nye Black coming in, I think they'll be able to, to build that in the aggregate. But seriously, 
Who's going to punt? I mean, Joe, that's that's your specialty. We get that huddle every signing day that you tweet out because, I mean, you put some foot underneath some balls. I'm curious about who's going to do that. And you know Jeff Banks is going big punt hunting. That dude's got big D energy all over punt. Colonel Michael Colonel punt. They'll go with you can go with a true freshman punter. They've got Ian Ratliff on the on the roster. I'm not Eric just brought it up on his phone. I'm not no. No, I'm not. <laughs> oh man. I do remember start start talking about Michael Kern and uh think he turned in a good season. I think there are guys there that can that can I'm help ready for Will Stone. That. I'm ready for the Will Stone era. Right, right tackle might be one. You know, you got Hayden Kern and uh Hayden and, and, uh, and Cam Cam uh Williams. So right tackle might be a, a point of interest. Yeah, gonna be a fun spring to follow. We'll end this up. Oh, we'll wrap this up with a quick little discussion on NIL. Uh Chris Del Conte spoke about it at his town hall meeting last night, and there wasn't <laughs> a lot to it. He put up a lot of the different opportunities that Texas has as far as NIL for its student athletes, uh, whether it be the Texas One Fund, and he even encouraged people to donate to the Texas One Fund. He had to answer a question asking. Why can't my Texas One Fund donation get loyalty points? And he had to say, well, the NCAA told us we couldn't. But, um, Eric, you, you wrote a little bit on NIL. You can get that article at Inside Texas. Sign up for one month. You can get that access for just a dollar. But kind of nuts and bolts of, of what's going on with Texas NIL, just looking at the title of your article, you called it the – I think it was the, the stable situation. I'll have to – uh, let you go in on that. But what's kind of the latest with Texas and NIL? Yeah, a lot of times you'll see Texas uh, lauded for its NIL as having the best in the country. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that that's accurate 100%, but I think Texas is probably the most consistent and probably has the best internal apparatus uh, with extremely capable people running it. So, But a lot of times the best is going to be de but determined by who's raising the most and spending the most. Obviously, if you watch this last portal, that's going to be Ohio State, Ole Miss, uh, every year it's going to differ a little bit. You'll have some schools on the uptick and some schools on the downtick. Uh, A&M had a lot a couple of years ago, didn't have nearly as much last year or what they had. They had to, to, to repurpose to, to retain players. Uh, I think Texas is probably the most consistent NIL in the country. There haven't been many ups and downs. Um, now, they did have some luck uh, fundraising off the success of this season. January was a very big month for NIL. Uh, and right now, people feel pretty optimistic about it. They're going to be competitive again this cycle. Uh, there's still a lot more money to raise. They're going to have a very big event in uh, August, or I mean, uh, in Austin in May. Uh, it's going to be a star-studded event. I'm sure you'll hear more about it. I'll let the school kind of handle that, or, or Texas One Fund itself handle that. Uh, but right now, it's a, it's pretty smooth sailing for NIL. Uh, but you know, it's, you've got it's one of those things you have to check every so often because it, it can it can tail off, or or it can you know you can hit a jackpot. Uh, pretty quick. I think in January they hit a pretty good jackpot, but they still got a, a lot more fundraising to do. If you haven't signed up for Texas One Fund, you should consider it. Justin, you've written a lot of uh, about a lot of different recruits over the past month, ever since the the Longhorns Junior Day. Do you kind of get the sense that a lot of these recruits understand they have opportunities, but at least as far as who Texas is targeting, they're not making that a big priority. And their recruitment, it be, it, it's a factor, of course, but uh, Texas is gaining ground for the most part because of, you know, 11 combine invites and a likely great draft class and just overall success on the field. You know, it's funny. Most of the time, unless we bring it up, they don't really mention NIL. 
Now, when you start talking, if you, if you just do a quick interview, five, 10 minutes, it, it generally doesn't come up, at least in my in my experience in the last month, rather. People just don't really ask about it. Now, once you turn the recorder off and you just start talking to the guys and, and they start asking you questions, then it comes up. And, you know, it's funny because I talked to a recruit a couple of weeks ago who, who went to a trip and, and he asked about NIL, him and his family did. And they said that they don't talk about NIL, that school didn't talk about NIL until the official visit. And they said that they wanted to make sure you love the school. And we've heard, the, you know, very similar pitch from Sark and those guys like that's one of the last things they, they, they like to get into is once you're on the official and going through that, it, it was the same at this other school. And, and, and so kids are curious and they're asking about it. But I think there's also a hesitancy there because I, I know some don't want to seem greedy and they don't want to seem like, well, that's the only thing I, I'm looking for. But it's hard to ignore. It, it's all over social media. I mean, every time we're turning on, there's something new. So Travis Hunter's got a new line of hoodies or Arch Manning's auctioning off another football card that I had to have. You know, it's something. It's always something. And so it's hard to ignore. But honestly, unless you ask them directly, recruits don't really bring up NIL until it's really off the record. And you guys are really we're just really chatting and, and, and getting to know each other. Eric, do you think that might be something that pops up as official uh, official visit season gets closer as more details are maybe kind of figured out on on individual recruitments and what? families may value uh, not only monetarily, but scholarship and academic wise, things like that. Do you think maybe we haven't heard it this early in the cycle, but you know, come April, May, maybe something we pick up on a little bit more. Yeah. We, we usually don't hear much about it uh, this early in the cycle. Anyways, you know, everybody knows it's there. It's kind of the elephant in the room at times, but that's, that's between the schools and the players to figure out that'll come out in the, you know, during the official visit process. Um, you might hear more about it when it comes to decision-making time in July uh, you know that there's some NIL stuff going on behind the scenes or, you know, if there's a recruitment, a high level recruitment in December, you just throw your hands up and know that there's going to be a lot of NIL discussions happening behind the scenes on that one. But for the most part, it's not really I try to shy away from that commerce, uh, that conversation for sure. Um, we just like to know from a global view. I need to know from a global view, you know, how is Texas? Are they well healed? If they're not well healed, then I need to fade some prospects because I know some prospects are going to come down to, hey, they like two schools equally. Uh, but the deciding factor might be NIL. And so, you know, it's for me to do my job. I have to have an understanding of where Texas is uh, in within the cycle on NIL. But uh, beyond that, I try to stay out of it. I know Eric will agree with this, too. If we don't hear it from players, we hear it from parents sometimes. Oh, if yeah. there's somebody you hear it from, it's mom or dad. And then they, they really want to talk it up sometimes. And it's hard to ignore. Like you, you said, it, it's the elephant in the room. But it's it's business as usual now. That's how college football operates at the highest level. And so you got to be you got to be on it at all times. I kind of wonder if there's a little bit of uh, tiptoeing now that all these different uh, Tennessee and state of Tennessee, state of Virginia, uh, they don't want to be the ones that, that cross the line. Tennessee and Virginia don't care. But uh, I feel like schools might be trying to figure out where to to maneuver uh, in the course of all these different lawsuits, not just that one, but there's a few others making making their way through the system. Drew, Eric, Justin, y'all got anything else, or uh, we've been? There's a question here you you missed. I wanted you to get. It's a little bit. It, it says, Joe, do you worry about Dateline coming to your door? Oh, Zorro, looking like Zorro up there. 
Oh man, I don't watch Dateline. There was a 2020 about uh, Austin, Texas, uh, that aired on Friday. So it wasn't about me. Don't worry. Hey, if you had to sign something, you need to let us know. Somebody asked us what we think um, Xavier Worthy's going to run at the combine. Put me four, down four three eight. I got four three three. I already said he's he breaks four three. I think for a slender guy who's probably not going to do the bench. Isn't I he think more he's, quick than fast. No, he okay. He's got he's got Ooh. enough time. He's quick and fast. He's okay. got enough time prepared just for the forty. And at this rate, with what's on film, his best he, his best hundred I think was ten six right or ten five six. Ten five five. five five as yeah. a sophomore. Drew, okay, so Kyle someone's running a ten two. He's going to be at the combine too. Drew, as someone who's prepared for the 40, am I crazy in saying 429? Yes. No, you're not. No, you're not. Oh He's not Michael Vick. He's not Marquis. There, 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 there are guys that are fast. There are guys that are fast. But there are guys who – well, so there are guys who are quick. But there are guys who are fast because they're quick. Yeah. That first 10 to 20, Worthy can get out. Yeah. Of, he can go from zero to 60 quick. That dude Four. is explosive. Yeah. He can Four, three, fly. Three. He, he can fly. He can fly. Four, three, he can fly. Three, three. I got it wouldn't shock me if he got four two nine. I, I got down to a four four four, and that's just because I focused on it. Yeah. Um, and they're guys who just play faster. Like this dude can. Yeah. Well, we're, okay. we're gonna see four Justin. four at your size, Drew. So oh, I, I wow. think four three. I think four three five is kind of where I had him just as a – that's what I expect him to do. He's splitting the he difference goes. between you and me, Eric. He's splitting yeah. the difference. Well, that's what I yeah, expect I think, him to do. If he, I just think he's not going to try to bench press. He's going to stand no. – He'll just do he's running drills and, and catch – and uh, receiver drills at the combine. He needs to fly and he needs to catch every ball at pro day and at the combine. Yep. I'm with that. We'll come back to this. I'll have to remember. I'm, I'll am i climb that top turnbuckle and say 429. So okay. I'm ready for that one. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us on the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. Make sure you head to InsideTexas.com. You can get one month of access with us for $1. That'll get you basically right up to spring practice. We'll have a bunch of great inside intel on the team and on recruiting as visits are set up throughout the next few weeks. Uh, make sure you like this video. Subscribe to the channel. we got stuff coming here every day between Drew, Eric, Justin, got LC, Paul, Ian, Charlie, me, all of us. We got a uh, we got a great thing going on here on the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. So, gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you for spending your Wednesday night with us and we will see you next time on the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel.